Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scriptures comes from Haggai chapter 2, verses 4a for 5. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Do not fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well done, Judson. Well done. How about those junior leaders and those singers in that reading? That was all really good. Loved all of the songs today. I was lumping my throat kind of Thursday, which means, as you know, that I'm going to preach for two and a half hours. Just buckle up. It's going to be all right. I have good news and bad news. Here it comes. Um, The good news is that God has in mind that God would like to change everything. That is, all of creation, more specifically the church, more specifically this church, more specifically the folks that sit in the pews that comprise this membership. God wants to change everything. The bad news is, like it, God wants to change everything. (laughs) And and that will be received differently, I recognize that, um, based on where you are sitting and how you are sitting and what you want how you define success. But I have never been more convinced than I am today. The last couple of Sundays, I have had opportunity to travel two weeks ago. And thank you, Pastor Daniel, for preaching for us two weeks ago. Wonderful sermon. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was in Bronx Bethany Church to, to preach at their 55th anniversary and also the installation of their pastor, a guy by the name of Richard Griffiths, who some of you might remember We called to be our youth pastor years ago, and I would submit that God was in the answer of no that we got uh, because it worked out well for us and for them. And uh, things are changing at Bronx Bethany. You just just can't miss it. Things are changing at at Bronx Bethany. And then uh, got to speak last week, and I'll talk more about this in a little bit, uh, speak last week at a fall retreat. And... Uh, all you have to do is be around students for a while and recognize that God is changing things. Be around some young folks, and you will recognize that God is changing things. All right, now, hit the pause button, and I'll, and I'll come back to all of that, and we're going to have some fun with that today. But I do want to say, in, in the midst of change, in the midst of a changing society, in the midst of the changes that are coming to your life, it is important that you find those orienting principles that will stand like roots, roots, that will keep you rooted in the right sorts of ways, and in other sorts of ways will allow you to be be blown in in good sorts of ways by the, the winds here or there, rooted and yet still blown where God wants to blow us. I think that's the right thing. There is going to be an Advent series called Rooted in Hope, and uh, we actually are going to explore the uh, explore roots 
uh, as they have to do with plants and trees and the firmament. We're going to explore all of that. It makes for a really fun, really neat uh, Advent remembrance. And to that end, I've written you a letter, and I just want to emphasize a couple things here as we move toward the season of Advent, which starts on the first Sunday of December. Man, uh, the holiday season, and we all kind of know it and kind of feel it, it kind of blows through and leaves no stone unturned. Have you noticed that? I mean, you've got office parties, and you've got all the different uh, things that you need to do, and sometimes you have to do to meet with these people and that people. I mean, your calendar gets crunched. There are kids' musicals, and you need to go to those things, and there's all this stuff. And, and sometimes, if you're not careful, you can just, just be blown around and blown about by the hustle and bustle. We even have a term for it, the hustle and bustle of the holidays. So we want to offer you each week in the Sunday of Advent an opportunity for a deep breath, uh, uh, some rootedness, and some exercises that we believe all the way down to breathing prayers that we believe will help to root us. And in order for that to, to take root in your life, you're going to have to do a couple of things. Ready? Here's the first one. Show up. Uh, not too long ago, I read a, another report, and it's actually a refreshing of report I read and actually taught in 1995. In 1995. I taught uh, over at SNU in a gen ed class that regular attendance uh, was defined as two Sundays and four. Well, the refreshed version goes like this. Regular attendance is understood as one in four and a half Sundays. So somewhere between four and five Sundays. And here's what I want to say to you. Uh, that works if you understand faith to be something that only happens up here and you just need to consume a little bit of it and then you just kind of come and you, ch you check a box. But we are trying to change one another's habits. We are in the process here at this church of trying to make sure that our habits are moved toward Christ-likeness. I don't know if you've ever worked out for any serious, uh, any serious period of time, but you can't work out and get in better shape once a month. And I know I'm, I'm potentially stepping into dangerous territory, as my predecessors have, but hear, hear your pastor say this. It is good for all of us when you come to church on a regular basis. Amen. During the season of Advent, I believe this, that we are shaped to be people of hope and expectancy. And I think we have some things, uh, not just because we're creative, but we have some things and some resources that we have access to each week that can, in fact, shape us to be people of hope and expectancy so long as you are here to be shaped. So please do what you can to prioritize your presence. And then, as you can, I told Jason, I don't, I don't want him to have to worry about the, the giving thing, so I'm going I'm to say it at this point. This is where we dig deep and we participate, even financially, even financially. I know, again, a lot of claims, not just on your time during the holiday season, but on your money. Amen, right? I'm a gift giver. I get that. But there's a rootedness available to us when we invest in the right things that is not available to us when we invest in not the right things. And so it invite us to not only show up, but then to participate. And yes, yes, I do mean in terms of your giving, but I also mean in terms of your time. We talked about this this morning, and I believe this is true. Maybe the more, more, the more valuable resource is your time. And so it's a tough thing when I ask you to come again on Sunday night. Like I'm asking you to come to church again, make the trip. Some of you drive half an hour to get here, and I'm asking you to be here again tonight because I think Harvest Dinner is that important. By the way, I think Harvest Dinner is that important. 
And I think that the, the moments and the movements of the holiday season, the season of Advent, and that includes things like the giving tree. Thank you, Stephanie, for helping us with the giving tree. And the Christmas blessing, and that event that we put on, it's sort of a party that we throw for the folks on the margins around us. Man, I think that is worth your time, and I think it's one of the moments and the movements that move you toward Christ-likeness. So I would like for you to, over the, the course of the, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really pushing my limits, right? Because here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to show up. I'm asking you to give. I'm asking you to participate. Because it's good for all of us when we do. Can I get an amen there? I'm not supposed to fish for amen. Is that okay? All right. I feel so much better. All right. So my daughter hurt my feelings not too long ago, and I'm going to tell you about that. Uh, I said, hey, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about this uh, what do you think about this series? You're like, you like this uh, dead poet, dead prophet society thing? She goes, is that a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. <clears throat> so my therapist says I'm going to be fine. My therapist <laughs> says I'm going to be fine. Um, it is a movie. It is a movie, actually. And, and we have slowly but surely, the, the different voices that you have heard up here, we, we have slowly but surely tried to give you some semblance of an idea, even if you haven't seen it, what the, the story's about. And let me do that again for us today. Um, it's actually not about Mr. Keating, it's about Todd. It, it's the story about Todd Anderson, and that's who we're gonna see in this clip today. Todd Anderson uh, is sent to this school, Welton Academy, an all-male elite prep school, and he has been told, this is how life is, young man, this is how life is. This is the box within which you're supposed to fit, and we're sending you to Welton to make sure that we can reinforce the edges of this box. And as I have said to you time and again, Mr. Keating, in all of, this, all of these clips and in, and in this scene today, for sure, kind of plays the role that reminds me of, of a prophet, a prophet who every once in a while says, okay, here's what you're seeing, but here's what's really out there to be seen if you have eyes to see it you have eyes to see it. So let me, let me give you a, a little bit of a phrase that we're going to kind of hearken back to periodically throughout the sermon, but here, here's the phrase. You think you know, but there is so much more. So much more to see, to know, to experience. You'll see in this clip that Mr. Keating is trying desperately to get Todd to relinquish his grip on his understanding of the way things are, the way things have been. Trying really hard is Mr. Keating, and this is Mr. Keating right here. Trying really hard to get these, these uh, Welton students, all of whom are here and cut from a similar bolt of cloth, really. Trying to get them all to at least consider the entrance of art and poetry into their lives and an expanded vision and all of this. And so here, let me set up this clip for us a little bit. Uh, an assignment has been given. The homework is to come and write a poem. And earlier, but right before this clip, you have somebody who comes in and makes a mockery of the whole thing. He just writes a little bit of a, a cheap nursery rhyme. And then you have Mr. Anderson who just doesn't get it. And it's because of the box that he's in. The box, what we'll call this box that he is in is um, the, the crusted exterior of how things have been and so how things must be. And Mr. Keating uh, will not let Todd by just being a prisoner in this box, but I want you to watch as to, uh, and see what he does 
two and also four Todd in this, in this clip. Now, who's next? Mr. Anderson, so you're sitting there in agony. Come on, Todd, step up. Let's put you out of your misery. I, I didn't do it. I didn't write a poem. Mr. Anderson thinks that everything inside of him is worthless and embarrassing. Isn't that right, Todd? And that's your worst fear. Well, I think you're wrong. I think you have something inside of you that is worth a great deal. I sound my... Eric Yop The rooftops of the world W W Uncle Walt again. Now for those of you who don't know, a yop is a loud cry or yell. Now Todd, I would like you to give us a demonstration of a barbaric yop. <laughs> Come on, you can't yawp sitting down. Let's go. Come on, up. Gotta get in yawping stance. Uh, a yawp. No, not just a yawp. A barbaric yawp. Yawp. Come on, louder. Yawp. Oh, that's a mouse. Come on, louder. Yawp. Oh, good God, go yell like that. There it is. You see? You have a barbarian in you after all. Now, you don't get away that easy. Picture Uncle Walt up there. What does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A, a crazy madman. Oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Go on, uh, go on. Uh, a sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy. There's a poet in you after all. There. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. Now, describe what you see. Uh, I, I close my eyes. Yes? Uh, and this image floats beside me. A sweaty tooth madman. A sweaty tooth madman. With a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful. Wonderful. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it. It'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it. It'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crime to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. Oh, man, I love that clip. Now, uh, and by the way, Judson pronounced this perfectly, I think, Haggai. It's not Haggai. I don't like that at all. Please don't do that. I don't think it's, I think it's Haggai. It's Haggai. And Judson did it well. I would say to you that Haggai the prophet is doing much the same thing that Mr. Keating here is doing. He is not allowing them to be prisoners of the past or prisoners of the present, but trying to open them to the wonders of what might be in the future. The wonders of what might be in the future. But Todd can only get there, it's interesting to me, Todd can only get there if Mr. Keating covers his eyes so he stops looking at the class, the way that people are receiving him, covers his eyes and then his imagination can fire and he can see things that he couldn't see before. The people of God, the people that Haggai is writing to also have a little bit of a prison problem. They are prisoners to their past and prisoners to their ugly present. And because they are prisoners to their past and their ugly present, there is some resistance to what it is that God may want to do in and through them for the future. 
you remember, right, that God wants to change everything, and that's both good news and bad news, kind of depending on where you sit. But the reality is God wants to change everything. That might mean you. That might mean you. That might mean us. And so this past week, I went to fall retreat. And fall retreat, uh, I got to speak to our, to our kids, and uh, there are different theme nights. Like, So there was windbreaker night, and the wind never had a chance with uh, some of the, the outfits that I saw. And then, man, fall retreat's nice and picturesque. And uh, the place that we had to worship was nice. And, and there was a great band that led us, and, and I got to... to do the thing that I did for 15 years, but I haven't done in almost that, that same amount of time, and that is speak to, to young people, and it was an incredible thing. Now, I have felt several things through the weekend. One is, oh, okay, I'm not a youth pastor anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm not a youth pastor anymore, and some of my old tricks don't work anymore. These students seem not to be interested at all in my cassette tapes or my transparencies. <laughs> Not at all interested in my, and, and I would have done some damage to them and to me had I insisted on going back to all of that, right? Had I insisted, nope, we're going to go back to not only the old methods, but the old, even the old subject matters. Now, obviously, some things stay the same, and other things don't. If I had insisted on going back to what was super important in 1995, I would have done some damage to 2019. Not only that, I mean, you could say the same about our, our current facility. This is a, a wedding that happened somewhere in the 70s is what I'm guessing, 70s? Uh, you may not recognize that space, but that space is on our current site. That is the green room where right now Luzi Vita is having a very spirited uh, moment of worship, I promise, right? But that was the original square footage of our site here on Northwest Expressway, and it had theater seats, and it was beautiful. And now, um, I came in 1990, and it was just a couple of years prior to that that they finally took the theater seats out, but it still had chandeliers, still had chandeliers. And they said to me, the youth pastors, like, we really don't have youth space, so why don't you take the old sanctuary space? And I said, you mean the place with the chandeliers? And they said, yeah, that place. I said, oh, that sounds perfect. What could go wrong? <laughs> youth ministry with chandeliers. And so not too long after that, we started to do all kinds of things, if you guys can remember. We did all kinds of things to that room. And we, we, uh, Mike Williams helped us to rebuild and duplicate the Double Dare set back there in the, in, uh, the uh the, the obstacle course and all of that, we put 25 tons of sand in that room and had beach bashes for multiple years. I still don't know why we did all of that, but we did those things. There was a horse in there. There was a 71 Datsun in there. We did all kinds of things. We built a two-scale professional wrestling ring in there. We did all kinds of things in there. And the chandeliers were broken on a weekly basis. <laughs> on a weekly basis. Until finally the decision was made to get a more durable brand of carpet and a more durable brand of lighting uh, in there. We can't go back to that. We can't go back to that for a lot of different reasons. We, we have this space, and so we're not going to try to go back there. But just imagine the damage that would be done if we were to today insist that we have to go back to that, whatever it was in this first picture. Nope. 
that's going to be our sanctuary. Nope, we're going to have chandeliers again. Nope, we're going to have the theater seats. I mean, we, you would do some damage. We have big plans for that room even now. There will be a time. We will someday celebrate and launch Luzi Vida because they've already purchased property and they've already built something of an edifice. And so the day is coming when they will go and they will go to another spot. And, and we, will, we have some plans for that space. I mean, that space is going to be a department for our children, the preschool department for our kids, right? That's going to be several different rooms and an art room and all kinds of things in there. Spaces that we think into the future will also be double used for the early Head Start program that we want to do because literacy is a thing. Literacy is a thing. But if we insist on that, we won't get to where we think God is taking us. I'm going to say that again because I need to make sure that that point lands because you kind of don't get Haggai if you don't get this point. If we insist on that, chandeliers and theater seats, then we can't get where God wants us to go. What is your relationship with the past? What is your relationship with the future? What is your relationship with the present? It is possible that an unhealthy relationship with the past or the present will keep you from having a healthy relationship with God's future. I mean, what is, what is your, I said this this morning to a few folks gathered. Um, in a church city like ours, lots of options. I don't know if you know this. Lots of options. Homesickness is the reason that people move from church to church to church sometimes. They miss the way it was. They miss the way it was, and so they end up going to a place that can better do things the way things used to be done. I totally get that. I also hear Haggai saying, let's not get so fascinated with the way things were done that we are unwilling to allow God to do things the way God wants to do from here on into the future. And by the way, I, I think you should hear all of this both as the gathered up people of God and as the individual persons of God. Is it possible that God wants to do something with you, to move you into God's future that you are resistant to? That answer is yes, and that's like me. Is this God trustworthy. These are the questions that the people of God are asking. Now, let me set some of this backdrop for you. This is an, a fascinating slice. By the way, uh, this is the only time in the three-year lectionary cycle that the book of Haggai makes an appearance. This is the only time, and it's only these few verses that we have here in front of us. It's only a two-chapter book, and frankly, Haggai is a great example of um, the folly of seeing prophets as predictors because if, if that's what Haggai is, he's really bad at it because he predicts some things that just don't come true. He, he predicts that after, so we're, we're, let me put, put us in perspective here. This is after the Babylonian exile and after about 70 years when the Persians conquer the Babylonians who are holding our people hostage and then allow some of them to return. The first wave returns in 539, another wave in about 520. The, the passage today is 520-ish or so. It's only gonna cover a couple of weeks. 
Haggai and other places says, you know, I think what's going to happen is the, both kingdoms are going to reunite. Didn't happen. And in the southern kingdom, we're going to have a Davidic king, somebody from the line, of, the line of succession. Never happened. Makes you wonder, why was this book included and kept in the canon? I think it's because it has an important thing to say to us about our relationships with the past, the present, and with God's future. Because, man, he just nails it where this is concerned. So you have people who have come back, and with the blessing of the king of Persia, these people who have come all the way back from captivity to Jerusalem have been tasked with the rebuilding of a Jewish society, complete with, and very importantly, complete with the wall, the capital city, and now the temple. The temple. Oh, the temple. Solomon's temple. If you want to read about the grandeur of Solomon's temple, you can look in, in 1 Kings. Oh, this is a huge temple that at times had 80,000 people carrying resources, to, just to carry resources that were needed. Perhaps as many as 3,300 just supervisors on the job. 3,300 supervisors. That'll tell you how much work was being done and how many people needed to be supervised. There were thousands of people imported from places where they had gold and they knew how to work with gold, imported just to do the gold work on the temple. This was a magnificent sort of thing, one of the ancient wonders, no doubt in my mind, one of the ancient wonders. And it was gone. Gone. Not one stone left on another. And so these people who are back in 539, another wave in 520, are tasked with rebuilding the temple. Here's the problem. They didn't have Solomon's checkbook they didn't have that many people. They had zero power, really. And what power they had was borrowed from Persia. And yet they were tasked to rebuild this temple. And so they get discouraged. In 520, we think that they would have had some semblance of a, of a, of a foundation laid some semblance of a foundation, but not much more. And we think there's not much more because the people look up and they say, wait a minute, do you remember what this looked like? We can't do that. I'm depressed. Matter of fact, matter of fact, the temple, this particular version of it, was completed in 515. And even at its completion and its dedication, let's say, the book of Ezra records that when it was dedicated, there were some people who remembered the old temple and saw that this one fell so far short that at the moment of dedication, people wept. People wept. So they're depressed. They can't build it like it was, and they're not sure that they really want to do anything. And so they stop. Haggai comes and he says, wait a minute, this is verse two. Speaking for God, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai saying, is it a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while this house lives in ruins? Now you are right. If at this point you're remembering, yeah, but all that gold, all that splendor, important word, this structure came to be an idol itself, came to be an idol. Maybe there's a reason that God was involved in the dismantling of this idol and you know what you do, you have a point. But is the opposite point even valid, that we should have no structure then? I mean, I, I have heard this before, right? Ha haven't you heard people say, I just don't think it's right, that the church would spend so much money 
on a building when there are people to be fed, and they have a point. It is always, it's always a possibility, right, that a building, a resource like this, would for us become an idol. It's always a possibility. But I'm not sure that means we shouldn't have any structures, physical structures or liturgical structures. Just because we fear that something will become an idol, that is always a constant threat and we should be mindful of it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have physical, tangible reminders or liturgical structures that orient our lives and our attention. So the people have kind of said, we can't do it like we did it. Maybe we don't even need it at all. Haggai comes along speaking for God saying, no, you need it. You need something. You need this structure that orients your life and reminds you of the stories of God's faithfulness. You need this. You can't just meet two or three at a time at Starbucks and call that church. You need these liturgies. You need these stained glass windows, actually. Potatoes and all. All right, if you are new to our church. <laughs> Dr. Riegerd famously said one day that he loves this picture of Jesus, but it does look like to him that he is walking all over baked potatoes. So uh, that's what that's from. Now I've ruined it for many of you. Okay. No, actually, you do need, you do need these tangible reminders that, that God is still doing what God is doing, and God still chooses a people to call God's own people to put skin and flesh on what it is that God wants to do in all of creation. You need these structures. And so, go get busy. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored says the Lord. Get busy, you gotta work. Movement into God's future, into God's future requires your participation. Movement into God's future requires, yes, that you not make an idol out of the past. You're gonna have to keep your homesickness in check. But also requires today that you get busy and you participate in moving yourself and moving us and moving all of it toward God's future. So get out there and cut some wood. We have a temple to make. Now who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? And now here, God via Haggai is just touching the wound. <laughs> How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? This is where God is acknowledging that before the structure itself became a cheap substitute for God. Became that idol. And though God is saying that they need something, they need a structure, they need some need some tangible reminder of the story of God, God is saying, yes, we do have to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is not the structure, it's the God. Yet now, verse four, take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord, the leader, take courage, O Joshua, the priest, the high priest. 
Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work. And very intentional language is used here. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Now that language should sound familiar. Some very intentional words are chosen to draw the reader's attention or the listener's attention back to a bush that burned but did not burn up. Remember that whole discussion between the voice and Moses? You remember what the answer was when Moses asks, hey, voice, as of yet without a name, when I go to Pharaoh to say to him that he's got to let all these people go, when I go to Pharaoh and say everything's about to change, (laughs) like it or not, everything's about to change, who should I say is sending me? This verse is meant to remind you of that answer, and here was the answer. Unfolded, here's what it probably should say in our Bibles. Tell Pharaoh, I am that I am, or as I have been there, I will always be there. God's name is, God's name is, as I have been there, I will always be there. God's name is the God who does this stuff at the Exodus is still doing this stuff if you have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, and the courage to participate. God's name is still, as I have been there, I will be there. This is very intentional. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts according to the promise that I made when you came up out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Do not fear. God wants to change everything. Perhaps including you. Maybe including us. certainly includes what we see playing out on our screens, right? God wants to change it all. God wants to change it all. Perhaps the best news then is that God's name is still I am. As God beckons us to participate and to help out, perhaps the best news is that God's name is still I am. In other words, as I have been there in the Exodus, as I have been there in overcoming exile, as I have been there at every step along the way, I am still with you. So get out there and work. Get out there and work. What might be, God is asking, what might be of each of us or all of us or all of this kingdom stuff, what might be if we actually were to get out there and work and partner with God, put the shoulder to the wheel God speaking through Hosea, I mean Haggai. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former. Wait, it's gonna be a lesser structure. So the the splendor, is that word again, of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. How can that be? How can there be greater splendor when we are spending pennies on the dollar, 
with this structure as opposed to Solomon's temple. How can that be? Well, yeah, that's just it, right? The splendor before seemed to have been rooted in the architecture itself rather than the God behind all of it. The psalm that's supposed to be a companion to this passage today is Psalm 145. I'm just going to read a few verses of it for you. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty irks. Your mighty acts, sorry. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The problem was that they had more confidence in their architecture than they did in the God of their narrative. We have some fun architecture here. <laughs> we have some fun architecture here, so, so much so that people around the city are noticing and, and Mike does not have open spaces to rent back there with Coal Center. We have some fun architecture here. Uh, you may not know this, the, the thunder here, and I mean the players were here Friday. To, to work out with some veterans. It was a cool thing. It was a cool, I mean, because the Thunder likes to use our gym, they use it on a regular basis. There's some cool architecture here. I mean, this stuff is great. We're, we're gonna do some things to make the building. This is what the Next Step program is about. And thank you, by the way, it, you have supported that program very well, and we're about to make some changes. Like we have said to you, the Next Step program has to do with um, remodeling in some sense our, our children's facilities and we now have enough money to do some of the necessary roof work because you can't paint walls if you can't fix the leaks. Amen? Amen. And so that is about to happen. Thank you because of you and your generosity. We're going to do all these things. Hear me say this and I want us to be good stewards. There are people in the room who have helped us over the years to be good stewards with the resources that we have. I want us to be good stewards with this physical plant. Here's the thing. But if at some point we have to be on our guard against, I'll say it like that. We have to be on our guard against having more confidence in the architecture and the structure than we do the God behind it all. Where is your confidence? Where do you have your hope? Is it in the God whose name is I am? The God who is making all things new? The God who speaks of new creation? Where, where is your hope? Is it in what was such that you always want to go back? Is it in what is that you want to hold on for dear life to what is? Or is it in the God who wants to move you, each of us and all of us, into God's future? Is this God's character such that we can trust this God to move us into God's future? Last Thursday, um, and, and this, is, this, this joke will always have legs. This is um, drug court graduation, and I am not kidding you. The, the name of the judge at, at the Oklahoma City Drug Court, his name is Ken Stoner. Amen. That's, that's so good. I'll never get tired of telling that, telling that story. 
Well, uh, he and I become friends over a period of time, and they're, they're trying out something new. Um, rather than doing drug court graduations just sort of as they come, sort of drip at a time, they kind of want to gather them all and have a big celebration and invite people, and this was a trial run. And so Kelly and I got to go to drug court, and I don't know if you can see that, but there are like over a 1,000 years of prison sentences that were uh, overturned and so much money saved for the state and the city and lots of kids, lots of children who now have parents in the home who wouldn't have had parents in the home otherwise. It's an incredible thing. The, the most precious part of each of these graduations, and this one was no different, it, it was the testimonies of the people uh, who had graduated. The testimonies. The testimonies of, of these people, some of whom were afraid to move into the future, and there are some people who keep their addictions because they're afraid of, of living life on into the future without the stuff. Do, do any of you know this? Addiction is an amazing thing. Addiction keeps you rooted in the past, actually. Keeps you from moving into God's future. And each one of the four graduates that night talked about that. The fear of moving into the future. And they didn't all use Christian language, but it was there, I could hear it, I'm a pastor. <laughs> It was all there. Fear of moving into the future. And at some point, each of them had to make a decision. Will I be arrested and sometimes literally here in this situation? Think kind of Todd at the beginning of the sermon, right? Am I going to be stuck here in this box of how I've drawn the universe? Or will I develop the capacity and the courage to live outside of that particular box into the future, maybe not knowing what that future might look like, but trusting the God who's taking me there. It's an amazing thing. I'm not saying at all, I'm not saying at all that the past doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, Judge Stoner says to, to, to end the whole night, Judge Stoner said, Hey, make sure that you don't erase all your mistakes because if you erase all your mistakes, you erase all of the wisdom that comes from them. I like that. But there is a forward facing, right? There's a future facing in that statement. I've spoken with Judge Stoner. That is not a great venue. He is interested in having that event here. How cool, how cool is that, Right? If we have a drug court graduation, I, I hope that I can convince you to come. And here's why. Not just so that you can stand and there are regular standing applauses, right? And you know, we'll all stand and applause when a person walks across the stage and is, man, there's nothing like hearing the state's attorney read off. There's one case, the person, this state's attorney read off seven different charges. All the language, like this is case number, blah, 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 blah. And at the end hands the papers to the person and says, all charges dismissed. Whoa, lump of my throat every time. And so we're all standing and applauding. And I want you to come to stand and applaud, right? But also because this becomes a very tangible expression of what it is that God seeks from all of us. Movement into God's future. Yes, at times it's scary. Yes, at times there is some blindness to it. Don't know exactly where God is taking you, believer, me, pastor, us, OKC first. But the thing is, 
I don't know, I think God's trustworthy. I think to be coaxed out of that box created by the past, to be coaxed into God's future, that just sounds right to me. Haggai was making a very specific point, especially when he used the language of I am with you. And here's the point, and with this we close. You thought, said God through Haggai, you thought that the exile was somehow evidence that the covenantal relationship had been severed. Hear this, says Haggai, to the people of God then and now. Each of us and all of us, hear this. God still chooses you. There's still work to be done. And God chooses to partner with you, with me, to do it. What might you need to let go of to do it? What a thing to have heard God say after the horrors of the exile, to hear God say through the prophet, oh yeah, I still choose you. That covenant still works. You're still my people. There's still work to do. And we will win. Yeah, but the temple won't be nearly what Solomon, yeah, 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 yeah. Turns out it wasn't about the temple. It was about me and my relationship to you. And we will win. We need these orienting moments and stories and images and liturgies. So if you're helping us, come and let's be reoriented again with this story that continues to shape our understanding of who God is and our understanding of who we are in response. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, these elements of a very important story that we have referenced even today. Moments when you have worked to salvage, to save, to liberate your people. From the tyranny of Pharaoh, for sure, but you are still liberating and salvaging and saving people today from all kinds of tyranny. Remind us, God, that these bits of bread that we call broken body and these sips that we call the blood of Christ, remind us, God, that this is a story that seeks to orient us to a particular way, a strange way of being alive. Of people who are willing to walk with you into your future. If you are visiting with us today, in a moment I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, all who are willing. No one has to participate, but you are all invited to participate. I'm gonna ask you to Exit your pews to the left and then to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of grace. As you approach a person holding a plate of bread, that person will snap off a piece, press it into your hands, please come with open hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. <clears throat> Don't eat that bread just yet, but take it and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, this little guy is going to say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. But then I hope you'll find a place to pray. And here's the prayer that we're being asked to pray by the prophet himself today. 
Are we willing to participate today toward God's future? God, help me to know if there is some reason, if there is something that keeps me from participating today toward your future. Then take and eat and find a place to pray. If you end up at one of these front padded altars, we're going to assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. And Ken, if you'll help us over here, that'd be great. Is Kristen here today? And Kristen, you're gonna help us over here, good. Pastor Daniel as well, over here. If you come to one of these prayers for healing, that's what we'll do. We'll pray that prayer for you, and it might be a physical, mental, emotional healing. There's, there's no telling. Relational, familial. If you come to one of these kneeling benches up here, we won't ask. We won't necessarily know why you're here, but we will at some point touch you so that you will know that you are here, but not alone as you are here. Or you can circle right back around to your seats, and that's fine too. We'll continue to pray along with you. But please pray. Because these are orienting, shaping moments. And if we are going to participate with God toward God's future, this becomes super important, these moments right now, for each of us and for all of us. Who is allowed to come? We're all invited, all of you who understand your need for this grace, grace. Nothing else matters if you understand your need. Nothing else matters, period. If you'd like to make a special trip, there's a bowl of water here. And our hope is that the chill of this water as you just touch it with the tips of your fingers, our hope is that you'll be reminded of the moment of your baptism, reminded of the moment of your inclusion into this family of faith, people with a mission. If you can't come to us, Jason and Augustina will come to you. It was on the night he's betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way later you would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Even today. Now, if you would, all across the sanctuary, exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God for the people of God.